My name is Mark, and if this is your first time with us, thank you for joining us. I get to serve as one of the elders here, and I'm going to be bringing a short message. I want to just explain how this works. Um, our service, uh, after this message, and we have the Lord's Supper, our service is going to close with a series of readings that will follow Jesus' descent into betrayal, suffering, and death. So the message that you're about to hear is going to come from the first of those seven readings. So the focus of the message will be on Jesus' betrayal. And the account that we're zeroing in on tonight is in Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 25. So I'll read those for us now. Matthew 26, verses 20 through 25. When it was evening, he, Jesus, reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, we know that you love to shine the light on Jesus Christ. You love to teach us of his ways, that we might walk in his paths. And we pray now that you would shine the light on Jesus' betrayal so that we might be gripped by it and envisioned through it to draw near to a merciful and faithful high priest. Amen. So the topic is betrayal, and you know, because betrayal is so powerful, stories of betrayal tend to stick, don't they? You might think of Benedict Arnold, the Revolutionary War general who secretly worked for the British, betraying the colonies becoming the United States. You might think of the Lord of the Rings and the betrayer there, Gollum, this sad creature who's Lustful longing for the ring of power resulted in both him and the ring being destroyed. If you're familiar with the Bible, there will be stories of betrayal that are probably uh, recognizable to you. We might think from Genesis of Joseph and his betrayal by his brothers as they sold him into slavery. Or the book of Judges and Samson's betrayal by Delilah. But of all the betrayals... I think Judas's betrayal is probably the most famous of all. In fact, in most circles, to be a Judas is to be a betrayer. His name has become synonymous with that act, this act that comes into view here. And in this passage, Jesus is making known to his disciples that he is going to be betrayed. One of you will betray me, he says. So we're going to consider this passage this evening in this sort of meditation on this topic. So 
we would just we're going to ask three questions. First, how was Jesus betrayed? Just want to just want to consider the scene. Want to try to bring you into this room where this is happening. Second, we want to just ponder for a few minutes why is betrayal so powerful and so painful? And then third, I want to leave you with this question. Why was Jesus betrayed? If his mission was to die on a cross as a sacrifice for sins, why betrayal? Why? So we'll come to that third. So first, let's consider the scene. How was Jesus betrayed? What's the situation here? Well, as we're this week remembering Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday and, and culminates then with Easter Sunday, the, the passage that we're looking at here takes place on Thursday night. It's Thursday night of Passover week, and families all over are gathering to remember the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. The families of Israel, the, 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 the Jewish families, were preserved as the angel of death passed over the land because their homes were protected by the blood of the Passover lamb. And in this moment, Jesus is becoming the Passover lamb for his people. Now, picture the scene. Jesus is in this upper room, and there are just 13 people there, Jesus with his disciples. But this isn't the scene that you get from the Leonardo da Vinci picture. They're not all sitting at a table with high back chairs. They're actually reclining. They're on the floor, which was the style of eating. And so they're sort of on cushions around this table. And it was kind of a family-style meal. And so Jesus is there with these 12 disciples, and that is in itself a little odd. Because this was sort of the ultimate family time. And everybody was with their families for this meal. But Jesus was with his disciples signaling to us the beginning of a new family being forged in the family of God. And they're reclining at this table. And in the midst of this meal, this Passover meal, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Now, if you'd been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, you would already know from just two paragraphs previous that, that it was Judas. Matthew has already told us just a few sentences earlier that Judas had gone and made a bargain with the religious leaders to deliver Jesus over to them. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. The disciples don't know this. Jesus knows this is happening. So when the disciples hear Jesus say, one of you will betray me, they are exceedingly distressed and sorrowful. It's very strong language there. There's no indication that any of them had any idea that it was Judas. And it's remarkable, I think. Don't you think it's remarkable that Jesus treated the 12 of them so similarly with grace and love that they couldn't discern even from the way Jesus was relating to Judas that there was something different about him. And so one by one, Lord, is it, is, it, is it me? And Jesus, remember they're at this common family-style meal table. Jesus says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now that may mean no more than simply we've all been eating from the same place and it's, it's one of you. It may have been a signal about Judas, but it doesn't seem like that here. And then Jesus says something very important. He points the disciples to God's providence. He says this. Actually, let me explain what's happening here. God's providence 
means that God is intentionally, purposefully sovereign over all that's happening. And in a specific event like this, there are actually two different actions coming together in the same event. And Jesus explains that for them when he says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. The Son of Man is a way for him to describe himself. And he says, he's going as it is written of him. Where is it written of him? Well, it's written of him in the Old Testament. And what he's saying is, this is not an accident. This is not a mistake. This is actually part of God's plan. We might look back, for example, to Psalm 41.9, where it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. As it is written, the Son of Man will be delivered up. And yet, at the same time, Jesus says, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I want you to see here, in this act of betrayal, there are, in one event, two different actions. Judas is completely responsible for his betrayal of Jesus. And God is completely responsible for this coming about. We might think of Joseph's words, Judas meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God's good purpose will triumph in this. And finally then, in this scene, Judas asks Jesus if it's him. And Jesus says sort of cryptically, in effect, you said it, not me. I want you to consider the scene here. Try to put yourself in this room. These are the 12 apostles that Jesus prayed over and called uniquely amongst all his disciples to be with him, to travel with him, to be taught by him. They've been sent out. They've been preaching the gospel. They've been doing miracles and healing. Jesus has poured his life into each one of them, and one of them sitting there is betraying Jesus. In fact, only a few hours later, as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas will arrive with an armed mob and identify Jesus with a kiss. Why did Judas do this? We can't be sure. We do know that he was paid. And so perhaps it was greed, at least partially. And oh, dear ones, ponder that. If greed could lead a man to betray Jesus Christ, let us be on guard against all greed. But this is a betrayal. And what is it that makes betrayal so painful? What must Jesus have felt when he looked across the table at Judas that night? Please, we must not dismiss this with, well, he was God. He knew everything and he wasn't affected by these things. He was fully God and yet fully man. And like us, he must have been pained greatly by these things. And I have no doubt that a story like this may stir up painful memories and experiences for some, if not many, here. Because in the arsenal of sin, betrayal is one of the most powerful and most painful sins. Betrayal may involve exposing confidential information. You tell a friend something in confidence and they go and blab it to everybody else. That's a kind of a betrayal. Betrayal may involve disloyalty, presenting yourself as a friend while acting like an enemy. Betrayal might involve misusing power to abuse or take advantage of someone. And so coaches or clergy or parents or spouses who a abuse a person that they should protect and serve, that's a form of 
betrayal. And betrayal is so painful and destructive, isn't it? It shatters relationships, marriages, families, businesses, nations. Betrayal brings such powerful temptations, doesn't it? You want revenge. How many movies are built on some betrayal at the beginning and then, a, then, then this whole movie building up to the, to the act of revenge? And I find myself rooting for that revenge to make things right, that powerful desire for revenge or the vow, no, I'll never open up to anyone again. Never going to let that happen again. That sense of shame. How could I not see this coming? And betrayal brings with it this grief, this loss because a trusted friend or a trusted family member has been lost. And hear this. Here is comfort tonight. Yes, Jesus was betrayed. But he isn't like Judas. He will never betray you. He will never be false with you. He will never work behind your back to harm you. He will never sell you out ever for anything. He will never be anything but completely trustworthy. That's our Savior. And now I come to the final question. Why was it necessary for Jesus to be betrayed? If his mission was to die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin, to make substitutionary atonement on a cross, to pay for the sins of people like you and me, why did he need to be betrayed? Why did, was it written of him that this must happen? Why? Back in chapter 16, Matthew tells us that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things be killed, and on the third day rise. Why the suffering? If payment for sins is all that's needed, why this betrayal? Isaiah, as we heard at the very beginning of the service, prophesies this in chapter 53. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Hear this now. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And I wonder what sorrows and grief you might have brought with you in here or be watching from home with this evening. And then this phrase from Isaiah 53, hear this, hear this. This is God's word. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Did you know that? I don't think that's ever dawned on me until this week. He not only bore our sins, he bore our griefs and our suffering and our pain and our sorrows. Do you know Jesus this way? A man of sorrows who carries our sorrows. I think this is why the writer to the Hebrews can then say, for because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus hasn't just heard about betrayal. He's been betrayed. He doesn't just have information about temptations to revenge or hatred or vows to never trust again. He's been there and faced down those temptations. Kept the faith without sin. 
one of you will betray me. And so Jesus suffers and dies and rises again. Why? So that we can come to him as our great high priest to find mercy and grace in time of need. Oh, dear ones, have you been betrayed? Jesus knows the grief of that. He lived the sorrow of that. Have you been a betrayer? All our betrayals, every broken promise, every false move, every lie, every act of disloyalty, God piled every one of those on the shoulders of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he bore those sins, and now they are gone. If you are in Christ, those sins are gone, paid for. You are justified before the most important court ever. Are there consequences remaining in this life? Of course there will be. But justice has been satisfied and you are no longer defined by your sins, but by the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight we remember that he died, yes, but we also remember that he was betrayed. He took our sins. He took our sorrows. So bring your sins to him tonight. Bring your sorrows to him tonight. Jesus suffered the grief of betrayal. Why? So that he could sympathize with all the betrayed and be a merciful and faithful high priest to provide help in time of need. He died and rose again to offer full forgiveness to all betrayers and eternal help to all betrayed. So let us draw near to Jesus Christ at his throne of grace where he's seated tonight for mercy and grace to help in our time of need. He was betrayed.